Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the Coriolis Rules by Free League Publishing. This actual play is performed by adults and contains adult themes. Strong language, powerful factions, and adventures across the third horizon await. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., which may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your storyteller. Thank you for joining us again in another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. We are back with our preludes for Children of the Periphery, our Coriolis game. And I have our next player, next member of the crew to step up. And so, Crewman, will you just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about the character you'll play? Hi, I'm John. I previously played on Vampire. I will be playing Fida, who is he's a ship's hand and he's a dock worker. And he's done a lot of stuff to make things meet, but he really likes working on ships. So that's that's him. To look at, he's a bear of a man. He is big. He is big with strong arms from a life of work. And uh, his forearms are covered in various tattoos, usually like fractal patterns that spread and merge together. There's a few bits where you're kind of like, oh, that there's a name here and there. But mostly it's these beautiful interlacing patterns. Height-wise, he's, like I said, quite tall. He's big black hair, big huge beard, and yeah, like stands hunched because he's always working in tight spaces. An important thing to know about him is that he does have a spiritual side. You know, he's very aware of the world around him and possibly not just the, the mundane, or at least he thinks he is. Very sallow skin. He's got a burn on his left cheek from an industrial accident a couple of years back. The the beard mostly covers parts of it, but the upper left cheek is, yeah. You can see him every day down the docks and he'll, down the shipyards. He's always wearing a simple black kurta and he's got cargo trousers underneath. The sleeves are always rolled up with the tattoos on display. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he's the type of guy who just wants to be left to get along with his life and just get through the day and deal with the next one tomorrow. Okay. So as far as his faction goes, he aligns with the consortium. Yeah. Specifically, the portion of it that is devoted to Hyperion's work in freight and bulk hauling and, and shipments. Yeah. Partly through choice, but mostly because there was an opportunity and he took it. How much choice he had in yeah. taking that is an exercise for the for the listener. Yeah, he likes the consortium. It's really easy to blend in. You don't have to take the limelight. You can just stay in the back and do your job and get left alone. There's performance meetings and stuff, sure. But like, he can just do his work, do it well, and go about his business. And that suits him down to the ground. Indeed. So the funny thing about that is, is that the consortium and Coriolis Station are kind of one in the sense that most people on Coriolis can't really tell the two apart. The consortium is a faction that's into everything. And I suppose for someone like 
Fida, the, the draw there is being able to work on a little bit of everything. Sure, do you work on bulk haulers and freighters and do you rehab old ships? But every now and again, you get called, like you have been today, over to the Ozone Plaza, the specific shipyards that are over there. Now, most of your work has been done in the docks that are underneath the Spring Plaza and probably some in the Spice Plaza. But specifically, the Ozone Plaza hosts a shipyard which is more of a high-tech one. It's where maybe ships that do racing, racing would be the uh, pleasant word for it. Some people might call it smuggling. Others might call it just, you know, general fun. A lot of the younger crowd is here. A lot of people with a lot of burr and little sense who are interested in getting their machines up to uh, the maximum amount of effort they can give. Fight is kind of like, hmm, doesn't want to stand out. So he's, even though he is always stands out no matter where he is, He's usually working on just, you know, as you said, real industrial systems. And it is nice to look at something made just for performance, not for the most performance for the least money. <laughs> and absolutely. So your work today has called you in specifically because there is a member, we would just say a family, is a family that is on the monolith. So just for your out-of-character sense, so everybody gets a sense of, of what that means. Zenithians are everywhere. And they control not only Coriolis Station by, by and large, but they also control the monolith, which is a massive building on Kua. And really the most influential, the most politically the influential, the, the richest people live on the monolith. That's where all of the really big time folks are at. The order came in from just any number, probably likely the job terminal that you answer every day that lists all your work. You get sort of a, a blast of information on this vessel that one of these families is looking to have tuned up or have some work done to it. And for whatever reason, that message came to you today. It probably arrives and gives you a bit of pause. My first thought would be that it's a mistake. I shouldn't be given this. But, you know, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth, and I'm going to just see what's in it for me. Like, look, I've been working on some real, just dull jobs lately. It'll be nice to work on something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So heading over there from where you stay on Coriolis Station is means traveling upward. Because you don't really live anywhere close to a space which would be considered well off. Because you have, we'll just say, something in your background that we know that perhaps gives you a little bit of a money issue, yes? Payments have to be made to keep the wolves from the door. And uh, that's, that's all I really like to say about it. Mistakes were made and now I got to pay the price. But... uh I make I pay that price on a regular basis, and I make my installments, and I uh, don't miss. I do what it takes. Inside the bay, as you walk up with you know, tools in hand and whatnot, ready to do your work, is a sleek, gray Corsair ship. So these are specifically built for speed. 
And this thing is slippery enough to skip on the ocean. Most of my stuff is is built to contain containers. It is not made for looks. It is not made for speed. It is made for what is the longest jump it can make on the least amount of fuel. This will be a treat to work on. Just, if nothing else, it'll be a be a change. Uh, you see a shape, someone moving on the other end of the bay. And on the underside of this ship, which is sitting on these three very precise almost insect-like prongs that's, that keep the ship upright. You see a uh, someone you're familiar with, uh, another ship worker who works within the Consortium's ring. His name is Talal. You wouldn't say he's your boss. He's just another mechanic, another person. But you're all part of sort of the same grouping under this one business head. I wouldn't say he's my boss, but I would say he's been there longer and has more friends higher up the chain than me. That tends to inform the relationship to a large extent, but, you know, he's an easy enough guy to get along with. He's fair. Yeah. Certainly, he's been here a little bit longer than you have, and you see him walk under the ship and sort of just barely brush the hull with his fingertips. Sort of playfully blows at his fingertips as he rubs them together. He looks and says, uh, Fighter, there's not even dust on this thing. Has it ever been out? I don't think so. He looks at a data pad. I think it was built, maybe put in storage, and then it got transferred down here for that. And he points over to the corner of the dry dock bay. There's a big, long container. It's probably four or so meters wide, maybe a meter deep. Stands a good two meters off the deck. It's a big box. Mm-hmm. And all I know is I am waiting on Onaz. So as soon as you hear Onaz's name, you you feel the internal groan. Onaz is sort of like the director supervisor of the mechanics in this space. She's a fairly reasonable person to be around, provided that she doesn't have a reason not to be. She's got a pretty quick whip of a temper if necessary. Does not hesitate, Onaz. I think it might be a weapon. Don't say this to me, Talal. <laughs> you know that's that's such bad luck to bring on a ship. Mm, you know, they want to fit it. I'm not going to ask any questions. I can't. We're not paid to ask questions, you hear over your shoulder. Onaz's sort of buttery, smooth tone comes out. We're paid to put things together. Yes, boss. I, uh, my note just said an engine tune-up. I, I'll do whatever you tell me. You know how it is. She casually walks over. She's dressed in a fitted tunic and a belt. It's pretty serviceable. She doesn't really usually get down into the weeds and do any of the actual work work. She's too busy supervising 25 different employees. But that's not to say that she couldn't. She's a pretty accomplished mechanic, and she's seen her share of uh, engine bays and you know rabbit holes inside of ships. She taps on the um, big box. She says, um, it's cold. Internally, I've got this these things running through. I'm just like, okay, what the, what the hell would you put in a box this size that's cold? Well, a stasis system up component maybe, but probably not. Exotics? Possibly. Nothing good. Well, I'm not sure what it is, but standing around here is not going to answer that question. 
From my orders, it looks like it's supposed to be fitted internally near the tail. She sweeps over her data pad and you see a three-dimensional skeletal drawing of the ship come out. And you see a bunch of restricted tags all over this thing. So there's restricted views. There's no plans for this specific place. And she sort of has to turn that holographic image so you can get a look inside. It's buttoned up. It's classified as far as I can see. And that's probably not anything military. It's just somebody paid to keep these plans proprietary. Corporal or, yeah, anything like that. There's loads of reasons people do that. these things. But it's none of my business. <laughs> and he says, looking her square in the eye, <laughs> it's none of my business. As long as I do the job, right? That's right. You've got a day. <laughs> he looks like he's about to say something, thinks better of it, and just kind of nods. He's like, all right, a day. I'm going to have Talal here help you carry it onto the ship. She sort of points over to the grab sleds that are there. I'm sure that'll help. And he's looking at it and he's just like, yeah, boss, that'll, uh, he's like, two grab sleds. Uh, there's, there's better ways of doing this, but it'll work. Just the size of this thing is the awkward component. Yeah, we'll make it work. I know. We don't have a choice. So I just bring it in, wire it in, safely install it so that it doesn't float around in zero, and uh, sign off and clock out. That's the plan. I'd expect the 12 today, just so you're aware. All right, let's get to work. You and um, Talal just move, sort of move these clamps in place and then hoist this box off the ground. And you can see the sled's meter of how much weight it's carrying. And you watch it go from green to yellow and sort of flicker at the red and then move back. He looks at you like, shakes his head. Let's go real, real easy. Real slow, Mike. No need to push anything. Let the machine do the work, and we'll just navigate Tala. That's all there is to it. You hear him, like, utter a prayer to the deckhand as you start moving, like, this, this box closer. <laughs> yeah, and we're just taking it super slow because we don't know what the fuck this is. There's the ever-horrific suspicion that something this big, this heavy, and that's cold... You don't know what it'll do, so you don't want to drop it. For one thing, you can't afford to drop it. It's literally beyond more than you you make in a lifetime. Yeah, that's basically true. You carefully get onto the ramp. This ramp is small. And so it is like moving, we'll just say, a massive heavy couch up a very short flight of stairs where you're getting close to the edges of the sort of the entranceway. You're really beginning to wonder if you'll get it in. Yeah, and there's the constant easy, Talal, easy. Oh, slow, slow. A little to your left. <laughs> All right. To me, to me. And just constant little minor adjustments to get the to get this damn thing in without hitting anything or denting anything because it will show on a nice, lovely spaceship like this. <laughs> oh, yeah. You get it into the interior space. And the blessing is that you don't really have terribly far to go. You basically need to make one turn, which isn't difficult. And then you need to head all the way to the back, sort of lower belly of the ship. 
in this direction anyway, there are no deck elevation changes. So it is a straight shot back. But being in this vessel is an eye-opening experience. You don't have a ton of time to take in the interior space in detail at this point. But one thing you readily understand is the ship's got to be worth well over a million burr. Every feature in here, every touch point is made for not comfort, not excess. It's made for weight. So all of the spaces here are devoid of any sort of cushiony, wonderful luxury. And it's all the lightest metal, the lightest possible plastics for, for lighting. All of those things have been taken into account. Yeah, it's it's all about getting the maximum delta with the minimum input of energy. If this thing's made for speed, and I've not worked on one of these in a long time. To allow nods. If I've ever worked on something specifically like this at all. I've heard about ships like this. I've heard about what they're for. And I'm not asking any questions. No way. Wait. It's for the best, Talal. Don't... Don't worry about it. You get it into space. To the space it needs to drop into. This looks like a... Almost what would be perhaps a, a bedroom. Although there's no doorway. This would serve as a, an excellent place for a bed. But this box is too long to be a bed. It's also too heavy, to be perfectly honest. Mm. It sort of even makes you scratch your head based on the weight, at least from what the grav sled says. It's going to fool with the engines, with the overall frame's power-to-weight ratio, just because of how heavy this thing is. I would have to be aware of where I mount it, keep this Corsair on even keel when she's in gravity or atmo. Absolutely. You get the box placed, and Talal sort of moves his grav sled out of the way and then comes back towards you, and you get a firm pat on the shoulder, and he says, I got to catch up with my work. All right. Thanks, Talal. If you need a hand with anything, not today, but give a shout. I will. It looks like you've got it cut out for you. Uh, it'll be all right. I just got to keep my luck good. All right. All righty. He steps off and uh, takes his, and eventually your sled out of the way, and then uh, makes his way out of the, the hangar bay. The part that's important for you to recognize is that the hangar doesn't have some big open door anymore. That's been closed. And so it's you and this box in this ship. That's all that exists. It's just time to get to work. Okay, so to that end, I guess, what do you think Fida's first move is with this box? What's What's the first plan first step is figuring out how it's going to be mounted and what it needs to connect to so he's got to figure out what kind of brackets it has does he have to open the box does probably not but let's see let's go through let's look over it and find what we find okay so what i'm going to ask you to do is give me an observation roll i would love to mike five dice because it is three for my wits and two for my observation skill. Sounds fantastic. And then uh, as it's a year zero engine, especially because it's Coriolis, we're just looking for one six. Uh, we got one six hmm? out of five. <laughs> the rest were all ones, but we got a six. <laughs> that is okay. 
the one six is what's important. So looking over the box, you come to the understanding that there are on the sides, the lower portion of the box, there are what look like stabilizers that can be essentially engaged and tiny feet will come out and press themselves onto the floor. That should keep it for the most part from moving around while you try to open it. Yeah, he deploys these and then he's he's looking for seams and even before he spotted this, everything seems to be flush along its length. And he's just like, it, this is what high-end goods look like sometimes. It's, you know, when it's not an industrial system where it's just labeled. So there are a couple of things that you pick out from this. There are some seams along the bottom of it. They're probably no more than a hand higher so higher from the bottom of the box. You find that seam. Not that this box is purely, you know, 100% smooth. There's there's that seam that runs around the entire bottom of the box. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then down the center, there does seem to be almost a pattern that's been very lightly etched under the top of the box. Yeah, I only see that when I tilt my head in certain angles in the light. And then once I see it, it's easy to spot it again. But the first time, it just looks smooth. And then you said tilt your head. So when you tilt your head ever so slightly, you see that there are shapes that sit, that are etched in. You don't really have a frame of reference, so I'll sort of try to explain them without telling you what they are. They are quadrupedal shapes. They look like animals of some sort. They have very large sort of bulbous heads and additionally very large limbs, which seem to be, you think, keeping them upright. They don't appear to be laying down. And then there are smaller creatures over top of them. That's definitely a bird, definitely. Mm -hmm. And that looks like maybe a big cat. Compared to the side, there's no indication of scale. No, it's an artistic drawing, if nothing else. And they seem to be on the outside of the framework of this box on the top. There seems to be, as you look at it, just in the right, just in a specific angle. There seems to be some sort of flowers, perhaps leaves, something like that. There's maybe a jungle scene. It's beautiful, but it's amazingly easy to not be able to see it at all. You only can see it if you're from a very specific angle. Yeah, I've never seen a part like this where there's just this level of artistry involved. Most of my stuff is anodized for for heat for to allow for heat for the heat to dissipate from it and to prevent oxidation of the surface. So it's this is wild to me. I've never seen a piece like this, and I'm just taking my time and going all around it and looking at these animals and following, tracing the design as I'm going around. I mean, I grew up on a station, so I don't, you know, I've not seen many animals. Certainly not. You probably have seen some in pictures and films and things that have been broadcast from other places, but... Oh, yeah. Not in person. And this is, I don't want to say like a child's drawing, but there's no high-definition flavor to this. This is all, well, seems almost sort of handmade. This isn't surgically made by a device printer. Not even like a a master painter would do something like this. This is almost pre-technological tool. Yeah, I'm running my fingers over. I don't... Do I even feel these shapes? 
You do. Why don't you give me an empathy roll? I would love to. That would be just four dice because my empathy is four. One success. You run your hands over one of the positions on the box and you can feel that there's a sort of a low vibration that comes from inside the box. Like perhaps there's a power cell running in there, which in your mind, yeah, that kind of sort of makes sense. It's cold. So maybe there's some sort of refrigeration unit running. That makes sense. Yeah, something to circulate the coolant throughout. You know, I've worked with systems with that before. They've just never been weird oblong boxes with uh, beautiful carvings. There is a snap and a hiss as the lid lifts just ever so slightly, just a few centimeters. And a ton of just steam and gas starts pouring out from the bottom. I I leap backwards like three feet, like a yard in a single bound. (laughs) It's just, what have I done? The box lid lifts again, probably half a meter. And then all over the top of the box, you start seeing little, little bits of light begin lighting up some of the etchings. Oh boy, the icons, I shouldn't have done that. With a great and almost powerful shudder, the box lid very evenly splits in half. Not like it cracks, but like it opens like a cupboard. Hmm. And out pours even more of this steam. Okay, I don't think I broke it. I think it was meant to do that. I don't know how I made it do this. So this is the issue. The leaves of that lid spread and up from inside the box, a cylindrical object begins to rise out of the box. And it looks like something you have seen before. And so there is just a moment of relief in the fact that you're seeing something you've seen before, and that is a cryostasis pod. That explains the cold. All right, that's this was an option. I kind of maybe saw that. <laughs> and you can see he, if someone was there, they could see the gears spinning in his brain, <laughs> trying to make connections. Yeah, he's like, OK, a pod. All right. Presumably there's no one in it. And I've just activated a system. I just need to hook this into the ship. Yeah, I, I'm just presuming this is empty. I'm sure hoping that. As the fog clears and the condensate clears, I won't see a human shape inside because that wouldn't be great. As he kind of looks up at the cylinder. You look up at the cylinder and you see two human hands pressed hard against the cryostasis pod. You see a feminine face frozen struck in horror. And for a moment, your brain thinks you see them move but it's really just wishful thinking Maida because they don't move at all they're in cryostasis they don't get to move anymore yeah so he's just left like and he turns around and he's just like okay okay by the icons what am I going to do um he like turns around and looks again and then turns away (laughs) alright 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 My job is to just install this. I don't even think I was supposed to get to do this. I <laughs> He looks back and he just sees her face and he's like, but who knows who's taking her and who knows where she's going and who knows if she 
Well, I, I know that she didn't go willingly. Just looking at her face. It does seem that way. A beeping begins from inside the box. Why the icons know? His internal monologue is one of panic and fear, but he's holding it together so far. Fight is just kind of like, okay, all right, this is not the... Maybe it's meant to do this. I mean, obviously nothing is broken, and I'm going to uh, go up and see if there's any lights blinking under all this goddamn condensation and mist, or if I can find a switch or some kind of interface that wasn't just me touching a cover. Certainly... I won't make you roll for it because I think it's fairly easy with your five dice of wits and observation to find that there are seemingly electrical refrigeration hookups inside this box. While the box is very ornate and perhaps a bit archaic in its uh, design, the inside which held the pod is current day technology. And so it has all of the necessary leads, power the, the cryopod, and that is likely what the pod is expecting. Yeah, now that I see what I'm looking at, I'm like, okay, I just have to connect it to the ship systems. And and he just looks at her horrified face in the tube, and he's just like, I do what I can. And he's going to start connecting pickups and finding the nearest outlets and so that he can do the wiring work he needs to safely and to, and to standard, because regardless of anything else, at least he can bury himself in his work. I will allow you to do so. So this is a extended roll. And what I mean by that is that the, this process will take more than a, a simple round, obviously. I will give you wits technology to properly hook up the cryotube. Excellent. So that'll be six dice because I have three in wits and three in technology. So let's see how we do. Three successes. Fantastic. So that is going to be a critical. And so what I'm going to do is, with that skill, is I'm going to tell you a little something more based on a critical success. So it says here, under Wits Technology, that you reach your goal, as well as achieving some unexpected bonus effect. So, (laughs) yes, the unexpected bonus effect for you is... Going through and and hooking all these pickups and all of these connection ports to the lower portion of the ship where you have to tie this pod in, it does take a little time. It takes a few hours because not only do you have to go port by port in a specific order, but you also have to essentially gut part of the ship's deck back there to, to make room for it. While the box is where it is, it eventually has to be shed to make space. So luckily for you, part of your wits technology role uncovers a really simple way to retract portions of this box. They sort of fold into themselves and become little more really than, I suppose, like wall dividers in the sense that that's what size is left. Mm -hmm. There are four of them. And while they are dense, they are at least movable. The deck of the ship is something else entirely. Everything here is form-fitted perfectly, so there are no vibration points on the interior runs nice and smooth. You have to interrupt all that because you have to take out pieces of the deck to get this pod properly seated. You're not really sure what effect that will have long-term, but you were hired to do a specific job, and you're doing it as best you can. The unexpected bonus for you is 
when you hook the pod up, you get the hookup sequence 100% correct the first time. Yeah, it's been a while since I did one of these, and, you know, there's never been a person inside it before, so that's, that's great. I guess. There's definitely a surge of, you know, pride that you were able to accomplish it. Oh, definitely. The, the little bittersweet pill that continuously is placed onto your tongue, though, is that you're essentially continuing this woman's trapped existence by doing this. Sure I am. And uh, I don't know where she's being sent. I don't know what she did, if she's some kind of criminal, but I try to tell myself that it's not my business, that it's I have to do my work and make my payments. And that's that's what I've got to do. Let me out. But what I should do is something else, I think. Let me out. The ship talks to you. They always do. This one seems to be a... The way it's been wired, it seems to be... It's a workhorse, the way it's been designed. It's not been put through its trials or anything, but it seems to be... I'm going to start the thaw sequence. I know that I'm screwing myself in some way, but I can't just... Every time I look at her face, she's in so much fear. I can't just leave her. So, John, I'm going to have you make an empathy roll. Okie dokie. One success. You start feeling this burn in your forearms. Like you've been lifting and lifting all sorts of heavy packages, all bits and bobs and wrenches and all sorts of things all day. You can feel the burn in them. And when you look down at your heavily tattooed forearms, the ink in your arms is starting to shift and move. It's spinning. That's the best adjective you can you can think of. You're starting to see it cycle all around your forearms. All right. <laughs> he's just like looking down and he's just like, on some level he's trying to uh, understand what's happening. So he's thinking, is it uh, some kind of iron in the ink? Am I having some kind of flashback to, uh, say, a substance that I might have used? I've never had this particular thing before, so it's probably not that. So this isn't a great omen. But I'm going to watch the patterns and see what f if they take a form or if they just continue to spiral madly. They spiral, and they begin to spiral faster. And you feel this burn and then begin to see your skin redden. And you get maybe just a little worried. <laughs> just a scooch. But, they, but, but it speeds up and you start feeling almost like this harmonic sound in the space here. And you look up to this pod and inside the pod, the abdomen of this woman is starting to glow through the cryo glaze. That's, uh, I've never seen somebody do that before. That's, um, it's a new one on me. Also, I've never seen my tattoos swirl on my arms in strange, maddening patterns, but that's also, I know that I'm what I'm doing is the right thing. It's just a fucking terrible idea. Moreover, somehow, you're not even sure how. Somehow you know the right dial sequence to put this pod on. 
so that way she can be released. I mean, this is something normally left to metacurges to, to deal with. Doctors who properly can take someone out of stasis, but you're really certain you know where those dials and buttons need to be at. I, I have just enough metacurgy knowledge to know how to how to keep somebody going and call for help. Yep. How to sew them back up and keep them alive, but uh, this is a bit beyond my extent of knowledge. If we find somebody, our job is to call for help uh, in this situation. I'm going against my training in every level, and I'm just trusting my gut as I just look up just stare at this glow and try to distract myself from my burning forearms. In a single and swift sound, the harmony is broken. The cryostasis cold glaze of the pod is shattered. The outer glass of the pod cracks from the pressure. And the entirety of the bay here inside this ship is showered with glass and shards of ice. I throw my arms up to protect my face as I turn away, but it's, who knows if that'll be enough to protect anything from anything. You feel the impacts for certain. You don't feel the pain that is supposed to come afterwards. In the space there, where nothing exists except the two of you in this ship, this being steps out of the pod and without a single word walks directly past you and turns to leave down the ramp. The first instinct is to tell her to stay, you know, to say something like, hey, wait, we can get you medical attention. But as he looks at her, he's just that evaporates. He's he can only watch as she leaves. She's making pretty good physical progress for someone who just came out of cryostasis. The technical part of your brain does that for you. She's draped in a very light, sleeveless dress. She's covered in those bands of light that you saw around her abdomen. They swirl around the center point of her body. And you watch her leave. And she steps off the ship and on to the hangar floor and in an instant vibrates out of existence. Well, yeah, I guess that'll happen. He's just like, well, I haven't seen that before. That's a, that's a new one on me. Well, I've installed the tube correctly, shattered the tube. I've got to get off station. Probably my best bet. There are thoughts uh, going through my mind of, can I pretend that I got injured and I have no idea what happened. It was all just, a, I'm like, no, that won't protect you from the type of people who can bottle up glowing vibration ladies. It is uh, it's a bit too late for that. There is a cool sensation that arrives for your arms. They finally do cool down. So much of the ink that you had had there before returns to its true and proper position as was put in. But whatever happened is a, we'll just say an exponential series of unexplainable in your brain. 
That's a good way to put it. I think the best thing I can do right now, because no one is going to believe me when I say what happened, and I'm keenly aware of the fact, best possible outcome, I've damaged some very expensive equipment and um, my debt gets even bigger. I don't think there's a future for me as a working person on this station, though. So I'm going to have to figure out how to, well, how to move on with, with my life after one, seeing a glowing lady vibrate herself out of existence. Again, that alone is not an, a normal thing for me. There's also the element of the ship told me to do it, and that was the right thing to do. But no one else is going to understand that. They have never understood it. So I'm going to have to figure out I've got to leave Cariola Station pretty quick. It probably takes you a few minutes to sort of go through all of these options. I would imagine that there's, and feel free to alter the narrative as you see it, but I would imagine there's probably a, a few moments anyways of, of shock and of continued thinking and of sort of looking around going, what the hell happened here? Just keep on coming back to it. There's, there is no way to salvage this. I've got a couple of things in my corner, but I've got to leave now. Okay. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. I'm going to have to leave this. Well, this hangar at the very least. Okay. So you gather your tools. Yep. Just put, pick them all back up. That I'm just like, I just look back at the, at the box. And I'm like, can I, oh, it's wired in. Yep. I, I can't close it now. I'm just going to walk down the, the corridor and down the ramp and out of here. You collect your tools and head out from the hangar bay into the long corridor. That long corridor takes you eventually back to sort of the lifts that go up to Ozone Plaza. And it doesn't take you too long on your approach to those lifts to realize that there's several figures that are standing waiting arrayed in their dark gray and with glue sort of green piped accent are station guards and they sort of stand in this semicircle no weapons drawn but they stand there just kind of stops at a you know about six feet from them a, a bit out of reach folks i'm looking to go back home i gotta get past you there you see from sort of behind their grouping, a tall woman stands up, uh, someone you've not seen before. She's um, close to, pretty close to maybe six and a half feet. She was sitting, probably the only reason you missed her. Yep. And she parts them like a very simple pages in a book. And she stands in the middle and she says to you with a, a very piercing gaze and she says do you know who I am? I look for any sign of insignia or rank on her uniform uh, she's not really wearing a uniform she's wearing uh, what looks to be uh, a dress uh, she's wearing uh, fairly expensive clothing jewelry she has a, a triangle etched into her just above one of her eyebrows likely is some sort of perhaps family or clan tattoo, that sort of thing. 
I've seen a couple of folks with them. I don't really understand them myself. I'm afraid, afraid you have me at a disadvantage, madam. I, as he's like, she got these guards here. Oh, dear. She says, I'm Leah Marhoon of the Zenithian Trade Alliance. Slow nod. So for you, Fida, that name likely rings a bell. But I'm going to let, as I always like to do, I'm going to let your um, empathy culture determine whether or not you've actually heard of her. Mm -hmm. Well, I have no points in culture, but I do have four in empathy. So that's the four, four point pool again. No success. You unfortunately do not know who she is. Her name sounds very important, especially in the way she just said it, but I don't know who she is. The package that you were to install on the ship? is installed. Hmm. She reaches sort of into her satchel at her side and she draws out a very slick looking expensive data pad you watch a camera in that hangar pick up the truth of what you just experienced the slow walk off of the ship the sudden and shockingly immediate vibration of this form and then literally dissolve in front of your eyes hmm this can't explain any of what just happened oh well I can explain part of it. Is that so? Yes. You opened a box you weren't supposed to. In my defense, I wired up the box and uh, next thing I knew it was cycling. I have, she sort of extends her arms to the station security. I've assured the station security that I'm not going to press charges. Um, but I've kind of had and contacted Ona's, your supervisor. And I've bought your debt. Ah, I get the feeling I'm going to be getting to know this woman's name and I won't be able to forget it. So provided you have your things, why don't we move this way? We have a little travel to do to the monolith. I have all my tools with me. Excellent. I think that is a perfect time for us to close our camera lens on Fida. Our dutiful, if not gambling, ship worker. So John, I want to thank you for putting the appearance together and I'm looking forward to a full crew episode very soon. I am too. Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. And for you, the listener, I hope you're enjoying our prelude series for Children of the Periphery, our Coriolis campaign, and we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you and good night.